This is the Pain Matters Podcast with Professor Laura Mosley, hosted by Master Sessions. Follow the podcast and you will get the podcast as soon as it is released. Thanks everyone, take it easy and we're looking forward to your comments. This is Pain Matters, the podcast with Laura Mosley. My name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist, and this podcast is hosted by Master Sessions. Um, and there we are back again. Loz, good day. Hey, Bart. Nice to see you. Sorry to hear that you're feeling slightly under the weather as winter returns to the Northern Hemisphere. Yes. Hey, Bart, I've, I've got a, uh, I don't know if you'd consider my guest a Northern Hemisphere guest because he seems to be making himself very much at home in the Great Southland. But I've got my first guest, uh, as you know. Uh, I was so mortified listening to the first episode and hearing hearing myself rattle on without break that I thought, I need a guest. And then uh, Brian sent me a very excited email uh, about the final publication of uh, a project we've been working on for a very long time. He's been driving uh, primarily under the, the supervision of Tasha Stanton, but it's a very cool study. And I thought here's a, here's a great opportunity to get an insight into something that's going on in our group and to have some time, not just me talking. Mm, we're looking forward. So right, welcome, Brian. Welcome, Brian. <laughs> yes, welcome. Thank you very uh, much for having me. It's a it's I'm a pleasure. I, I think this is just sound, isn't it, Bart? Uh, like when you waved, I thought I better uh, not then. Either wave. Anyway, Brian, fantastic to have you here. Tell tell us a little bit about you. A, a little bit about me. Okay. Um, well, given that we're focusing on audio, I'll try to be verbally expressive, and I'll tell you that I am an sing. American. Brian is oh, would you a like very me to sing? good singer. I didn't bring my guitar with me today. I've been uh, I've been doing lots of research. I'm finishing my PhD thesis in 42 days, uh, so the the wow. timeline is quickly wrapping up. But uh, I'm an American. I came here in 2018 to do my master's, as you may well remember, at, <laughs> sure, uh, body and mind. And um, I've come back. I did my I started my PhD in 2020, two days before. Uh, the pandemic, that whole thing started, mm. and uh, and I've been I've been busy ever since. So I'm I'm wrapping up, but uh, my interests are really in in how people think about pain. And so when you when I when I heard the first episode of this podcast, I got quite excited because pain does matter, and mm-hmm. and learning yeah. about why it matters differently to different people is quite exciting to me. Okay, and. Uh... Do you? I know that you've had some time working in uh, different different roles and patient facing roles and not patient facing roles. Was that conviction about uh, the way one thinks about pain? And I guess as your PhDs evolved around one's body and one's uh, diagnosis, um, can you reflect on uh, the contribution of of patient? Uh, conversations, conversations you've had with patients to to that desire to pursue that within the context of research. Absolutely, and that is that's a, a really great point. I'm not a clinician, so I'm sure. um, 
I'm a we I'm don't a hold that against health you, research. Ron. No, of course not. Absolutely not. Uh, but I, had, you've had I, patient facing roles, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very fortunate to be what I might call a clinical health scientist. So I've worked uh -huh. in hospitals, in uh, outpatient care facilities, in uh, aged care facilities, and in, in lots of different environments with people experiencing pain for a, a wide variety of reasons. And in those conversations and in those roles, I've learned a lot about how people differently conceptualize their own experience of pain. Mm -hmm. And so I took that, um, that idea that people understand pain in many different ways, many complex ways, to my research. And so this study that you were talking about uh, was a really great opportunity to dig into that. The, the paper is all about the development of a questionnaire. And so before yeah. everyone goes to sleep, with the idea <laughs> of that, uh, I mean, when when you think about that as a as a thing, oh, I'm developing a questionnaire. I it's think very it is exciting, isn't it? Think, oh, bloody hell, this is going to be tedious. However, um, I developed a questionnaire a long time ago, really badly. Like I, it, I just did not follow any real scientifically rigorous process around it, and it was very much my own thoughts trying trying to determine whether people were learning the things I was hoping them to learn. And then I remember when you first sat us down, there was a few of us that you sat down and, and you explained the process towards development of the questionnaire. Uh, it, it really made me slightly embarrassed, I have to say, about what the way I'd gone about it, but um, not in a bad way. Brian, for those who can't see Brian right now, which is everyone, he gave it's, me a sad, sad puppy face. It's no, very difficult. It's very difficult to keep a straight face while you're talking. Because it, it is. Scale development is an extremely yeah. um, complicated process. I had a conversation with um, Mark Jensen, who was uh, one of my master's supervisors. He's based in Washington. Amazing researcher, and he's done some incredible scale development work. And I told and him... And possibly, was... possibly the nicest professor in the world. Oh, he, he would He would have to be... Uh competing for that prize anyway so he's done a lot of yeah he does has done a lot of so he's done he has he's done quite a lot and um and i told him that i was i was joining this uh this perhaps unofficial organization of scale developers and whether or not he would uh sign off on my membership and he he agreed to of course but he told me that you know scale development isn't really a three-year you know phd project it's a 10-year plus project scale development yeah. is 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 really just it's difficult and it's mm -hmm. there's no good reason for that it's uh it's very unhelpful i've got a timeline to stick to laws and uh <laughs> you know there are a lot of steps involved here but you know you're you you were speaking earlier about the uh the neurophysiology of pain questionnaire which well, has how been did you know how did you know oh, that was how did the i very know well i think i, I think lots of people about. know this is a hugely influential questionnaire in the field i mean sure. people use this questionnaire for for lots of different reasons all around the world it's been translated many times it it has a lot of impact um, but it gets at important questions about what we're actually measuring when we give people these questionnaires and and that's an mm -hmm. important discussion to have maybe for a longer podcast but but for this questionnaire we wanted to get at what do people understand about their own experience? How do they conceptualize uh, pain? And I'm sp specifically looking at osteoarthritis pain. Um, okay. That's just sort of the area of focus that we've what, zoomed can in I, on. 
I'd like to clarify for me and for everyone else, what, what is osteoarthritis pain? Oh, that's a good question. Well, osteoarthritis uh, is extremely common. It's uh, perhaps one of the most, if not the most, depending on who you ask, it's the most or the second most common form of musculoskeletal pain. Um, and oh, hang on, hang on, let me interrogate that. So the spirit of the question, uh, yes. I, I recognize, uh, and actually there will be some people who are not familiar with, with arthritis listening to this, uh, but if we were to cover that really quickly, you say that this is for the, the condition formerly known as a joint inflammatory disease. Uh, but when we say um, arthritis pain, I want you I want you to tell me exactly precisely what what that is. Is it uh, is it different from other pains? Uh, and if so, how? That's a good question. See, pain matters. These are excellent questions. Um, is it different than other pains? Maybe, maybe not. I, I think it would probably depend on who you ask, but um, you're asking me, so I, I suppose I should answer. <laughs> osteoarthritis pain is, uh, well, I should first say that osteoarthritis is so common that arguably most people who have osteoarthritis have no symptoms. There's nothing noticeable in their life that would suggest that they have osteoarthritis. But if you took an x-ray, you would probably see some what we would call osteoarthritic changes. These are very normal processes that are just part of daily life and, and part of you know being a human. Um, is, whether or not they is, cause... Is, is osteoarthritis a positive, a certain pattern of findings on x-ray? Is that yeah, what... It can be diagnosed that way. Okay. Yeah, it can be diagnosed that way. It's a degenerative condition, which uh, is associated with uh, a breakdown of some tissues in a, a given joint, but really it's a body-wide inflammatory response. Uh, and it's it's quite a lot more complicated than I think we've necessarily been giving it credit for over the last few sure. decades. So we're trying to address that complexity in some of this research and look at how well, it's not just about what's going on in the joint. Osteoarthritis is about a lot more than just what's happening in the joint. And in that way, it does involve what people think and believe about their pain or about their joint or about their physical capacity. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, we've tried to look at not only about what do people understand about their pain and their condition and their um, uh, prognosis, but also uh, what they understand about, uh, about their capacity, about what they're capable mm -hmm. of and about what they should or shouldn't do because of this condition. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna jump in because I need, to, I need to rewind, right? And I don't want it to be too obvious that I'm, that I'm sort of trying to get at a point here uh, around this idea of understanding what exactly it is that we are discussing when we say we're discussing arthritis pain or osteoarthritis pain. And if I take what you've told me so far, I think um, we are discussing pain that is felt in the same anatomical location as there is um, X-ray findings of certain joint changes. And we are we've uncovered enough about what else is happening in that human 
to understand that their pain is probably influenced by a, a body system-wide or a body-wide inflammatory process uh, and how they understand the problem. And then I think, I think not if I've got this right, all the other possibly infinite things that sit in the back end of, a, of the human, not literally in their back end, sit in the processing <laughs> system um, about whether or not this this body part should be protected. Yeah, would you be Spot broadly on. happy with that? Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I'd be broadly because happy with I, that. I think that leads really well to, again, I remember you selling the need for this study to us early in your PhD. Uh, and actually, they were the points that you are emphasizing that um, uh, what we're calling arthritis pain is is similar to to all pains in that uh, what you think is happening may very well be important in what's happening in your body. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, now that we've clarified that, I'm happy to I'm happy to move <laughs> on. What did you actually do, Brian? So, what's what is what's actually involved in you know step by step? Let's say you had you had five minutes max to pitch the process uh that got you to here how would you pitch it what, okay. what has to happen three things have to happen the first thing is you have to come up with a list of um what you're trying to measure what your questionnaire is going to be all about and then a list mm -hmm. of items that you are going to include in your uh, proposed questionnaire and the second thing you have that? to do oh lots of people right. uh, okay. me a bunch of mm -hmm. other uh, researchers who uh, have have lots of letters after their name. Mm -hmm. uh, you were one of those people in this instance. Cool. Uh, Tasha Stanton was one of those people in this instance. Dave Butler was one of those mm -hmm. people in this instance. We had so a whole a range of, of experts. Well, quasi That's experts. Right, about, we can't really describe ourselves as experts, but about consumers. Lots of experts did, did you have in... consumers? Absolutely. So that's the other thing that we were able to do uh, because we took the long way around. So, you know, many questionnaires sort of take a quick, a quick route to finishing their, their development. But we took the long way around and we started by coming up with a list of questions about things that we thought were important to a person's understanding of osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't enough. So then we found a bunch of people who actually have osteoarthritis and, and, and live with pain every day. Mm -hmm. And we asked them, what do you think each of these questions means? Right. So that's, that's a different question then. We weren't asking them to answer the questions. Mm -hmm. We weren't asking them to complete the questionnaire. We were asking them to tell us what do each of the questions mean? What are each of these questions trying to get at? and cool. see if their responses matched up with our intentions. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, that's getting at something we call face validity, whether or not the questionnaire means what we intended it to mean to the people that we're trying to get information about. Mm -hmm. You don't and, hear the, the term face validity come up very, very often, do you, in, in science, except in a scoffing way. You know, oh, so you're just doing face validity. Um, anyway, never that's just, observation. but but it's certainly uh, it's it's part of the process. So that yeah was um, that's usually that's the the first sort of phase, um, and it oh boy does it take a while. So that mm -hmm. that slows How down quite a bit. How long did phase one take? We 
we got the paper published last week and we started it in June of 2020. So it okay. was so a, that's phase one. a bit of an ordeal. Phase one, the other phases happen a little bit more quickly because you're getting lots of data from many, many people very, very quickly. So mm -hmm. those are still, um, they've not yet been published, but they hopefully will be quite soon. But the, the overall idea being that we started by uh, thinking amongst ourselves about you know, what's important to a person's understanding of osteoarthritis based on what we know in our collective decades and decades of experience researching or treating uh, people with painful osteoarthritis. Then let's talk to people who actually have the condition and see if our intention matches up. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it doesn't, let's rework some of these, these questionnaire items. Uh, and then we go to the public and we share the questionnaire as widely as we can to get as many people as we can to give their uh, input, their responses on these items so that we can do the, the more intense statistical analyses. Um, mm -hmm. And that's yet to come. But uh, this first paper was really exciting and really interesting because we got to do something called cognitive interviewing, which is okay. a subset of qualitative research. Um, so it's specifically targeting, you know, the, the idea of just asking a person questions about how they're thinking about a given issue. Um, which yields some really interesting insights because often, you know, we ask people in our research studies to, to tell us what they think about, you know, about pain or about physical activity or about disability or about, you know, any number of things. Mm -hmm. And they will, and we'll write it down and we'll synthesize it into themes and that's all well and good. But cognitive interviewing takes it a step further. And so we'll ask them a question and then we'll ask them, you know, so we'll give them a statement. Um, about like um, severe knee osteoarthritis requires surgery and mm -hmm. different people will agree or disagree with that idea depending on their, their uh, lived experience mm -hmm. but then we'll we'll ask them that question and they'll respond to it and that's fine but then we'll take it a step further and say well why did you say that what do you think okay. this question means why are we asking you this question in the first place and, and so we'll get a little bit metacognitive to... Yeah, tell us responses to that question. It was really fascinating because we had a mix of people who had uh, what you might call a naive conceptualization. And I, I don't, I mean that in terms of educational psychology. So it's not, it's not meant judgmentally, but um, people who haven't necessarily undergone any sort of pain education, they haven't necessarily received high level uh, treatment for their condition. Um, but they're interested in research, so they, they showed up mm -hmm. to the, the mm -hmm. clinical trial center to, to participate in the study. And they'll tell us things like, well, my friend experienced XYZ, or mm -hmm. um, I had to undergo a treatment for my other knee, so I'll probably need the same treatment for this knee. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll talk to other people who have talked to experts uh, who have gone to uh, physios who are yeah. interested in pain education, things like that. And they'll tell us a whole different story about mm -hmm. why we might be interested in these types of ideas. So they'll say things well, like the, but in the, in the, sorry to interrupt you there, Brian, in the first example, um, in what you described as na the naive group, uh, why did they think you would ask that 
question. Uh, that's a really that's a really complicated question. It's a great it's a great point. The why is probably you know more an issue for for even larger scale research because why one person thought that we might include these questions you know we could we could go back and forth for for hours but the types of responses we got were about things like um well actually the the really compelling thing were uh was when people thought that a question wasn't important at all right, right. why would you even ask me this this okay. is completely irrelevant i don't need to tell you about this of course i'm going to need surgery there is no other mm -hmm. option why why would you even ask um, mm -hmm. Why would you even ask if I could avoid surgery? Of course I can't. I need it, mm. and and that may be true for some people. You know that for their lived experience, their unique needs, that may be the case. And we start to uncover some of the challenges of using standardized questionnaires in clinical contexts mm -hmm. uh, through these types of interviews. So taking this more roundabout scale development process, that's particularly um detailed and thorough one might say mm -hmm. mm. can bring out some really interesting insights about the ways in which people think about their own condition that we wouldn't get if we just reviewed the literature or if we just oh. you know talked among ourselves well we just did uh you know we just did surveys or something like that i love that idea of going Absolutely. a step deeper one one thing that uh, we came across in the process of establishing the pain revolution uh well the, actually not the pain revolution but establishing what are the what are the core concepts that seem to be associated with recovery when we ask people who have recovered uh, that process included a step in it where supposed experts like me and you and you bart bart's still here everyone say hello bart <laughs> yeah so just a fly in the wall <laughs> that's a way um we we came up with um uh, a couple of concepts that we thought were really important that we felt had landed pretty well in our own educational interactions with patients and and they were overwhelmingly rejected as unimportant um in the eyes Isn't that of fascinating the true experts you know like it, the 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 question was not you know, the answer to the question was was not the thing that was interesting about that. It was their their dismay. Well, what's who cares? Uh, and and one of those was about um, uh, distributed processing in the brain versus parallel processing in the brain. And we don't use that language, but from my understanding of how the brain probably makes pain, that that capacity of the brain to do a lot of things at once in a lot of brain areas feels feels really really important to the process of understanding then how lots of things can influence pain. But the overwhelming yeah. feedback we got was don't care. Don't, don't care. care about that. And that and idea of, of pain, uh, the, the sort of, we had, we had a question in this questionnaire about um, my body senses pain or my brain makes pain, that sort of nuance right. back and forth. Yep. And yep. frequently, People do not care. It's, right. it's frustrating because you know that that was a pretty significant leap in uh, mm -hmm. our understanding of of neuroscience about how um, pain versus nociception these are importantly different constructs. But 
um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of patients mm. or a lot of people with experience don't necessarily care about that. And that has implications for you know, what we would hope to do with these types of questionnaires when yeah. we evaluate clinical trials or we develop curriculum for uh, further testing, you know, mm -hmm. what is important, it might differ between what we think and what uh, patients think. Do you think we need to also consider uh, which patients we listen to in which concert? Well, I think we listen to everyone, but which, how we weight the input of different patient groups. I mean, that's, I'd probably like yeah. to leave that as an open-ended question, partly because uh, I want to wind up today. Um, but I want to, I want to talk again, right? Because I, I really want to ask you about some of the things you've learned during this process of hanging around what is a really important clinical trial for, uh, treating people with osteoarthritic related knee pain. Um, but for now, Brian, uh, I'd just like to iterate congratulations on that very, uh, arduous process of of that initial paper and the you said thorough really thorough process so when so the is the questionnaire out i can't remember is the scale out the scale is, is presented it's provisionally it's it's provisionally out but we'll have um, a few more uh, yeah there's a there's a provisional version of the the questionnaire in the paper but there are going to be some really important updates in okay. the next paper that i'm very excited about uh, that should be coming out pretty soon. So, so should people tuned. not go to this paper and start using the scale just yet? Read the paper, download Read it, the paper. enjoy it. Good job. But uh, maybe hold off on integrating it into your practice until you see some of the, the really exciting stats that we've mm -hmm. got in the next paper. We've done something really cool called network analysis that I'm very excited to uh, hear what people think about. So exciting. Um, so the paper is in PJ, I think. No, it is in plus one. Plus, plus, plus one. Plus one, everyone. Plus. P L O S one. First author, Pulling. Uh, Brian Pulling, thanks for joining us on Pain Matters. My pleasure. Uh, thanks, Lars. Great to chat. Yeah, and I just enjoyed you chatting, actually. Um, and I learned a lot. And I think the listeners will equally have. So, so thank you. Thank you, Brian. I'm looking forward to a next session, actually. And um, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a thing. So I've been thinking and rambling about this. Oh my God, this is such a such an important thing as a therapist as well, from my background, um, which I'm always sort of struggling with. If I got ten minutes of attention mm -hmm. with my patient, what do I need to get across? What is the aim, objective, or what? If I have to choose, I can do only one thing. What would it be? And um that's the and sometimes it works really well so but i have to admit sometimes it's just like luck i guess mm. <laughs> or just a gut feeling or mm. or maybe just the, the experience may have worked here or i'm tuning in with my patient in a way that it's actually worked out in the way it worked out and sometimes it's repeating over and over again and mm. uh, trying not necessarily in a way of in a teaching, like an old school teaching way, but in a, in a, what, what are we discussing? What is mm. the topic? And I like that idea of and the, the, um, the, um, the template that's been pro produced, I think, uh, assumably in, in Explain Pain Supercharged, I think that was the, formerly the first publication where 
all these um, key uh, educational uh, topics were, were explained or at least uh, published. So it gave lots of people and myself sort of a, a more structured mm. way of doing it. But I'm still still looking so when to choose what and when and where and how. So this is still a, a big challenge. So um, yeah, I would be I would looking forward to to hear you again, Brian, and on your uh, network analysis and what it what it may have uh, resulted in. So uh, so thanks again. Thanks, Thank Brian. you. Um, for um, the listeners, ciao. Next time, um, if you like. Uh, Please follow this podcast so you will be notified by the next um, the next episode as soon as it is released. Uh, thank you. Take it easy. See you next time.